This show is a screwball comedy with blue humor, adult situations, and some cussing. For subject matter and show notes, visit patterspod.com. The following events are fake. The story, however, is real. You have seven saved messages. Hello, this message is for Mr. Ryan D. Cervantes from the Sacramento Public Library calling to remind you, you have 10 overdue DVDs, including two copies of The Net starring Sandra Bullock. And if we do not hear back, the county is within its right to charge you with criminal mischief. Ryan, hi, listen, but we'd love if you continue to teach swing dancing down here at the old folks' home, but you know, they miss you too much when you leave and they get too sad. Plus, their bones are fragile, so... This is a collect call from the Patton State Psychiatric Hospital. I hear you wish to know what lies beyond the story. What world exists between the mind and the page. It is a real place. I've seen it. And if you're not careful... You'll see it, too. Hey! You're not supposed to be out here! Drop that This is Professor Natalia Ivanovich, chief symbologist and former head of folklore at Debevic Haynes University. I say former because last year she had a mental breakdown late one night alone in the library archives while reading a best-selling thriller novel from the 1990s. When they found her, she was covered head to toe in paper cuts, thousands of them. I've seen the footage and it's hard to watch. Over and over, the acclaimed professor appears to try and force herself inside the book, all while speaking an indecipherable and possibly ancient tongue, flopping, writhing, and squishing herself against the pages, mushing her face into the open interior like it's her way in. When that doesn't work, she then stands up, takes a step back, daintily lifts her floor-length Merlot-colored corduroy skirt just above the ankle and attempts to step in toe first like she's dealing with a pool of water. This upsetting display goes on for quite a while, 13 minutes in fact, and when they asked her what she was trying to do, her answer? I wanted to go inside. Inside where? And the thriller novel she was trying to enter? The guy who wrote it used to be my boss. Maybe you've heard of him. My next guest is famed thriller author and the suspense genre's best-selling novelist of all time, Luke Pattersby. It's true. Luke Pattersby is the best-selling thriller author of all time. He's sold over 300 million titles worldwide. He's been printed in 97 languages, including Esperanto. In fact, many would say that he is to the thriller novel what Spielberg is to movies. Steven Spielberg. Now, I don't know about you, but I never heard of one of his fans trying to cram themselves inside movies uh, like Meet the Fablemans. So why was a respected academic with no prior incidents of drug use or psychosis attempting to literally crawl inside a suspense thriller novel by one of the best names in the biz. And why the hell was she trying to warn me about it? More importantly, 
Why had 33 other cases just like the professor's been reported across Pattersby's fan base? And why was the author staying mum about it? Well, to quote Renee Zellweger, the answer, like fire, may light up our path, yet burn uncontrollable and reduce all to ash. This story is many things. A story of revenge, a story of loss, the story of a legendary reclusive thriller author who would vanish at the height of his career and whose reputation has since been plagued by scandal, deceit, mystery, and in some circles, talk of the occult. Oh yeah, didn't I mention? Pattersby hasn't been seen or heard from in years. Some think he's dead. Some think he's hiding. And others, like the professor, believe something far more sinister. As for myself, I just want what he stole from me. This is Finding Pattersby, a thriller in 10 parts. That's me, Ryan Cervantes, host, community college alumnus, and proud collector of Colombo memorabilia. I'm waving at my garbage man as a show of gratitude for carting off my waste. I do it every Thursday morning, and one day, I hope they even wave back. Call me a fuddy-duddy, but I feel it's important to be cool to those who work for you. It's a vow I made to myself after working for a not-so-cool boss who would go on to ruin my entire life. A figure who would destroy my past and define my future in the worst ways imaginable. Whose name was on the same cover of the book our good professor was trying to go into. And frankly fam, the reason we're all here. So let's talk about him. Luke Pattersby made his bread and butter writing the kind of super thick page turners your dad reads on the toilet on vacation. Sold in airport bookstores and magazine sections of supermarkets about rogue lawyers involved in steamy affairs, spies uncovering high stakes government plots while also having steamy affairs, and maverick vigilantes delivering homespun justice as well as participating in steamy affairs. That's the kingdom of Pattersby, his brand. And me? I was his ghostwriter. Behind the scenes, I helped pen his stories, alongside a team of writers tasked with churning out pot boilers and making Luke Pattersby a household name, a serf to the throne, a cog in his multi-billion dollar operation. And P.S., if this is your first time hearing about the concept of a ghostwriter, well, I hate to yuck your yum, but tons of big-name thriller authors use them. I mean, sure, maybe they had a half-formed idea one afternoon drunk on vacation in Aruba, 
grabbed a cocktail napkin at the swim-up bar, scribbled down the words art thief, Machu Picchu, parasailing, crypto, and then sent that barely legible soggy napkin to their publishers, who then assigned the jumble to a ghostwriter, like moi, who then, without credit, writes a whole book off it in time for some huge author to have their name stamped on the cover by the holidays. In other words, it was my job to take that crapped out seed of an idea and sculpt it into sellable, chart-topping entertainment. Thankless? Well, sure, but it was also who I was. And I loved it. I mean, just being that close to greatness was like being next to the sun and never needing to reapply sunblock. It was a living dream that became a nightmare. The day it all went away. The day I <clears throat> uh, lost what most people spend a lifetime trying to gain a purpose, an identity, what the French call a raison d'etre. The day I got fired. Anyway, I mention all this not as a sob story, but as my first piece of official evidence, like a clue about the last time I saw him and offer some backstory on what very personal events motivated this junkyard dog, uh, myself, to risk everything and solve a puzzle that makes the riddle of the Sphinx look like a game of peekaboo, a pretty easy game if you're not a baby. So here we go. In my time at Pattersby Storytellers Incorporated, we ghostwriters never had much access to the titular author. Well, maybe he'd call in from his study with some notes or give marching orders via teleconference or we'd catch a rare glimpse of him meeting with our supervisor. But in the months leading up to my being let go, Pattersby seemed to fade into the background altogether. Less calls less appearances so when they gave me my walking papers saying there just wasn't enough demand for the thrill anymore that's what they called it that feeling of titillation mixed with bloodlust the thrill when they said i was being downsized because of waning interest well i wondered if that also spelled bad news for the man whose entire legacy was built on thrills if this was the end of pattersby as security escorted me out, I'll always remember this because it was so odd for him to even be there, but I swear through the milky glass of the head office, I could hear Pattersby inside, screaming and yelling and raising hell about something, like an old dragon roaring, fighting for his life. And I know it sounds crazy, but when he yelled in there, it's like it changed the atmosphere. He's in there saying, oh, that's this, that's that. And there's this charge or a shockwave. Not real, but we all feel it. And at that same moment, out of nowhere in the kitchen, the coffee machines all malfunction. They all pop open and those little pods fly out and splat against the wall. And the mess they make with the grounds was like the shape of a face, a wailing, melting face a phantom a anyway security hurries me along and i'm about to go when he luke pattersby explodes out of the office and shoves past me and 
no way he knew who I was, but what he said was, uh, what's it called? Uh, prescient. Pattersby, who looked like he hadn't slept in weeks, snarls, Take, take, take. They take what's yours and call it theirs. Then he was gone. That was the last time I saw him. I can't explain the coffee stuff, but it's those words that stayed with me most. <sighs> so look, on that note, what I'm gonna say now will likely get me some ill will and even death threats among you Pattersby diehards. I'm gonna say them anyways. I'm not here to slander Pattersby or drag his name through the mud or poo-poo his fame and genius. I ate off that fame for quite a while. That doesn't bother me. It didn't bother me. But what does bother me is this. Now, Luke, you've written hundreds of books, but without a doubt, your best creation of all time is America's most favorite hero, Theo Sultan. A lot of people think out of all his accomplishments that Luke Pattersby's highest contribution to the art form is none other than the character Theo Sultan, the wildly popular six foot seven ex-Navy SEAL turned drifter, a hulking multi-tool of a man who spends his days as a Johnny Appleseed of justice, healing the woes of the world with his pumpkin-sized fists, the Mickey Mouse to Luke Pattersby's Disney, the Mona Lisa to his Da Vinci. Sultan's stories have netted Pattersby millions, if not billions, and single-handedly cemented his place in the suspense thriller pantheon for all eternity. But it's all a lie. Because Luke Pattersby didn't create Theo Sultan. I did. You heard me. The Theo Sultan that you buy for your in-laws at Christmas, that your office receptionist reads on her lunch break, was my original creation that I never shared with nobody. Period. My bosses, my colleagues, certainly not Luke Pattersby. I only wrote about Theo Sultan in my private personal notebook with dolphins on the cover. So... You can imagine my confusion, surprise, and outrage when one day, whilst filing for unemployment, after being told fans had lost their appetite for the thrill, I heard this. A new commercial for Luke Pattersby's latest book. He's got one chance, one bullet, one wish, and one love. The Anubis Directive, a Theo Sultan thriller. You gotta understand, when I say I told no one about Theo Sultan, I mean nada. Clearly, someone had conspired against me, had found my notebook with dolphins on it and passed it off as a Pattersby original. Honestly, with my world so swiftly turned upside down in that moment, I felt like a character in a thriller novel. What do you do in a situation like that? Or should I say, a situation? I'll tell you what I did. I stormed into my former workplace for some damn answers. Someone owed me an explanation. The only thing is, when I got there, the place was empty. Cleaned out. Desks gone. 
phone wires dangling from the wall. The way you'd clean a crime scene if you were a professional hitman. It was eerie. It looked like no one was ever even there. Like that chapter of my life had never existed. I felt like a blank page. No margin to my emptiness. I thought Patterby was toast. And now here I was ass out as his career was hitting new highs. All while the author had grown increasingly reclusive and by all reports, paranoid, aloof, and irritable. Something fishy was going on, but I had to eat. So I focused on finding work at other ghostwriting houses. The thing was, no matter where I went, they all said no, that they don't hire liars or plagiarists. Uh, excuse me? That's when I realized, on top of everything, I was being blacklisted. Someone in the Pattersby camp was spreading rumors about me, talking shit, saying no one should trust me. Word even spread that it was Pattersby himself who cut me loose. And they, whoever they were, had not only stolen what was dearest to me, but also salted the once fertile land that was my reputation, just like the Romans. And to make matters worse, the only evidence I had to even support my claim that I had invented Theo Sultan, aka my private notebook with iridescent dolphins on the cover, that had been misplaced. I couldn't find it anywhere and didn't know where it was. Everything sucked. Meanwhile, even more Theo Sultan novels were announced, each one a slap to the face. A master's mystery, a woman's touch, a deadly game of cat and mouse, and the maverick's quest for the ultimate riddle. Theo Sultan in The Puzzle Mistress. No one ever suspected the deep state had its own deep state, and that that deep state also had three more deep states. No one except Theo Sultan in Deep State 6, The Caliban Paradigm. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. There's a rat in the Pentagon and only Theo does know in Luke Pattersby's Degree Doc. It was a dark time for me. I became a ghost, a pariah in the biz, a has-been with a big fat scarlet letter L on my forehead for loser, who filled the holes in his heart with nacho cheese eaten directly off my own hands. Relationships suffered. The city took my dog away, and I wound up wearing my Fred Flintstone slippers on opposite feet for days at a time, and worse, not caring. Late nights were spent alone, watching internet. And it wasn't until I found that video of Professor Natalia Ivanovich in the library stacks trying to mush herself into one of Luke Pattersby's books that I thought, boy, I've been there, sister. I dreamt of confronting Pattersby, of finding out who took my notebook and making him pay. At my most desperate, I even thought if I explained my side of things, maybe, just maybe he'd make things right. Give me a cut, put my name on the cover, fix this whole thing, and I could go back to normal. Little did I know normal was a place I'd never see again, because that's when the news came. Luke Pattersby had officially vanished. 
disappeared from the face of the earth, gone missing. The one figure who had to know something and was powerful enough to set things straight. The one man who could speak up and end my banishment from the biz was gone. And wherever he was, was a mystery. And I became obsessed with every single rumor out there. His yacht sank off the Amalfi coast. He'd been kidnapped by the Irish. He'd given up riding altogether to invent a new language from a mountain cave in the Himalayas. He'd been cryogenically frozen to try and outlive the rise of AI in the literary world. Okay, even I had to admit that one was a little bonkers. So what does all this have to do with our professor and her 1,000 paper cuts? Something, I think. I don't got all the answers, but I believe Pattersby's untimely disappearance is just the tip of the iceberg. Which brings us to right now. I need to know the truth. I want to clear my name. I want to know what's up. Hell, I want credit for Theo Sultan. But most importantly, I want to be whole again. And if that means taking on the forces of power in the suspense thriller biz to track down the man who did me wrong, wherever he is, then I'm ready. So go ahead, ask me who I am. Because now, I got an inkling. And I'm willing to go all the way to see this David and Goliath tell through to the very end. Put on a pot of coffee, put up your feet, and join me as we plunge into the dark, thrilling heart of mystery, one clue at a time. This concludes the first half of episode one. The second half is available right now in the feed. Today's show featured performances by Jennifer Albright, Keith Pascoe, Kat Schuchter, David Kurz, and Lily Sparks. Finding Pattersby is written and directed by Ryan Sandoval with music and sound design by Eric Jorgensen. For more info and updates, check out patterspod.com and follow us on Twitter at patterspod. Till next time, see you in the Thriller Pages. <laughs>